available in more homes than the Pac-12 Network. We are the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online. And here he goes, Miles Jack! And I'm Ryan Abraham from USCFootball.com. Liner, gonna try to sneak it ahead. Touchdown, SC! We are the Podcast of Champions. Welcome, everyone, back to the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the 24-7 Sports Network. And I'm Ryan Abraham from uscfootball.com, the USC site on the 24-7 Sports Network. And together we make the Podcast of Champions, talking all things Pac-12 football. We had John Wilner on last week. Hope you guys enjoyed that. He is absolutely great. Today, it's just us, so we're, just, we're going to talk about the news of the day. There's been some newsy stuff. 24-7 Sports actually had an exclusive interview with Larry Scott. We're going to get to that because Pac-12 athletes are going to be tested weekly. We know that. So the the, the podcast of champions talking about the Conference of Champions. The Conference of Champions out there doing something ahead of schedule. So they're out there leading instead of following. So we'll talk about that a little bit. Uh, of course, the, the Pac-12 had a joint statement uh, on the uh, – the George Floyd killing, where we'll talk about that and all the different coaches, what they've said. Um, we have uh, a bunch of reviews on Apple Podcasts we want to get to, and we got some questions as well. If you want to send us a question, packedoffpodcast at gmail.com is the email address. Or if you'd rather call or text us, you can do that too. 424-532-0678. Tweet us at Podcast. The website is packedoffpodcast.com. And like I said... Apple Podcasts, we got a lot of reviews, David. A lot of people sub uh, subscribed. They rated us. They gave us a review. We love that stuff. Yeah, we do. We love reviews. But I do have to bring up a couple of rule breakers. Okay. Um, so this is an important thing. So Stakey, Jay Green Williams, and R&B Nut. We have, oh, and, and Dave PH Dunn. Okay. We got like, I don't know. 12 or 15 reviews uh, since we last did this, and, and most of them are, are quite good, and, and you, you followed the rules. We, we have one rule. It just has to be five stars. You can say the most vile things to us, awful things, terrible things, things you wouldn't say to anyone in person. That's fine. You just got to hit those five stars, all right? That's all we need. That's yeah. all we care about. That's all we want. We'll, and we'll read. If you want to if you want to write something really vile, really heinous, that's fine. We'll read it live on air. Just make sure you bang that five stars. Okay? That's we all we We do appreciate ask. that. We, I think we have, we're up to 399. That's what mine shows. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We right? are a great star-driving operation. That's we what do. we do here. And it looks like it shows like all the stars are lit up. So I think we're, we're like averaging a five star. Now, is it a measure of quality? No. Certainly not. You listen to this show, you know that. But is it a measure of our ability to persuade people to give us five stars in a kind of begging way? Yeah, yeah, it is. And we're good at what we do. Yeah. If by what we do, we mean begging for stars because nothing else we're good at. But we did. We, we said we asked for them and, and you guys have delivered and they're always funny. Um, and like Dave said, we got a lot of them. So should we just start reading some? You want to jump in there? Or yeah, yeah. Want? I think uh, so. This is from May 21st. This is from Juan Bruin. I don't think we read this. 
does this seem like something we read? I don't think so. Okay. Best sports entertainment podcast, which honestly, look, I'm all for truth in advertising here. That's probably not true, right? Like, there's probably some better, like, even if we're being honest, there's probably some sports entertainment podcasts that are better than this one. We are pretty entertaining, though. We're okay. I mean, it's, it's fine. Solid B, I'd say, like, if I'm judging it, you know, fairly. But come on. Anyway. Uh, as a long-suffering Bruin fan, Ryan and Dave are the perfect combination for this podcast. The temperaments of both Ryan and Dave work for me. Ryan is calm, and in every way is not like your normal egomaniacal Trojan fan. He's <laughs> likable and very knowledgeable, again, the opposite of any Trojan fan. Dave can be very snarky, rude, and a pain in the ass. As a Bruin fan, I love him. All that said, Ryan and Dave work well together, are informative and entertaining. Sometimes they both admit that they know very little about a subject and then talk about that subject for the next 30 minutes. So keep up the good work. <laughs> I do have one question. Has any school done less with a 20-game winning streak? How did Bob Toledo manage to win 20 straight, and how did he piss away any recruiting bounces any other coach in school would have? Thanks, Juan. Um, I'll take that one. I always thought, thought it was pretty funny that for like a major league school like a major power five institution to win 20 straight games and somehow within those 20 straight games not come away with a national title like mathematically that's actually sort of difficult like to not have one of those like ha not have like a single season encompassed in those 20 games yeah um especially in that era where you know you play 12 games that's enough for a national title um so yeah that that one was certainly a miss, but honestly, I think recruiting was fine immediately after that. It was just, um, you know, it, it wasn't the recruiting bounce. It was that they, you know, struggled with the quarterback position and then he kind of lost control of the program. Yeah. Uh, next we have, uh, held on as long as I could. This is a rule breaker from, this uh, is a rule breaker. So, so stakey S T A K E E. Yeah, this is totally fine. Every bit of content here is totally fine and we'll address it, but two stars, no. Yeah. That's 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 breaking the rules. We can't have that. Stakey said, been a listener for over a year. At first, I enjoyed the banter between Ryan and David, but David has gotten so negative, I can't take it anymore. I get the sarcasm, but David constantly complaining slash joking about not preparing, caring, getting stuff wrong, etc. Makes me wonder why he even does it. Self-deprecating to a point is admirable, but David takes it to another level. Then toss in the ever-increasing political discussions, and I'm done. So, so all right, all the preamble aside, you know, you know the last sentence is the important one here to this person. Like, <laughs> all that's, that political that's stuff. That's really yeah. what's going on here. But, so, because, I, I don't know. I mean, uh, if if you were getting into this for me being positive poly, you, you probably found the, the wrong person. Um, yeah. Does self-deprecating to a point is admirable, but David takes it to another level sound like it could almost be a compliment? Kind of, yeah. Right, because like it's you do admirable, it <laughs> and I do it even more. <laughs> right? Like, shouldn't right. that be super admirable? It's like if you walk 10 ladies across the street, then you, but you did 12, it's like that's right. got to be better, right? You yeah, know? it's sort of like a, I'm the most humble guy in the universe type thing, right? Right. Right. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, I can see how all that might rub people wrong, but whatever. It's kind of the deal here. Uh, All right, I'll go yeah. next. Um, this is hashtag mini traveler. This is a five star rating, so that's fine. We'll read it. Parastyle podcast. Okay. 
<laughs> Hello, Trojan fans. Oh, wait. I thought this was the peristyle because of the workload that Ryan puts into the pod. In all seriousness, <laughs> just as Earl from West L.A. stated, other than the peristyle, this is by far the best college football podcast I listen to. Also, your guys' back and forth makes for a very entertaining podcast and a not-so-easy-to-watch conference for me as a Trojan fan. Keep up the great work, guys. Until the podcast, the only Trojan fan Biloxi. in Biloxi, I'm guessing? Uh, yeah, that okay. sounds good. Cool, cool, cool. Thank uh, you for the review. Yeah. Willie BPHX. Holy it's crap. This long is, one. This long is one. long. Where to start? Okay. I, you know, to full disclosure, I did an hour with Petros Papadegas today on the live video. Then I just did an hour with Harvey Hyde right before this. So I'm already coming to this boot, you know, like wounded. Uh, so let's see this one. First off, love the podcast. Been listening for a couple of years now and living in Chicago. Really appreciate the Pac 12 news, especially. With the pandemic, lots of topics to, to, to cover. Okay. Apple's Red Delicious deserve their reputation as a low-end choice. Not a lot of flavor, bitter skin. Only flavor is sweetness, which is why they are a kid favorite. They were popular in the past as they were frequently the only cheap apples available. Uh, regarding the A-bomb and Japan. Whoa, so he's going into it. Couple of notes. The Japanese government was still torn about surrendering even after Nagasaki, especially the military. On timing... The original plan was for Nagasaki to be on the 11th rather than the 9th, but was moved up due to an impending typhoon. There was also a desire to end the war before the Soviet Union got involved and expanded their foothold in the Pacific. Uh, on the overall topic, I believe the nuclear weapon was going to be used regardless, as it was not ever, it was not have ever been a, a so believable. You're a nuclear guy. Huh? You this go is, nuclear. You, what did you say? You said nuclear. And what do you say? Nuclear. Nuclear. Oh, that's true. I don't know. Plus, I've, I'm doing a juice cleanse, and my mouth was just full of juice. Going no, no, no. I love it. I love it. You you, you keep going. No, I just wanted, uh, to, I wanted to bring it up. I wanted nuclear. to bring it to the attention of everyone. Nuclear. And we're going to move on. Okay. Nuke, nuclear. Yeah. Nuclear. That's where I go. Okay. So, you know believes- what? You're, 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 you're correct. It should be nuclear. Let's go nuclear. Okay. So... As it would have, I think it means never been a believable deterrent unless that had been used. So they were saying, so he's saying that you needed to use it once so it would be a deterrent. If not Japan, perhaps Korea or later when the weapon would have been more powerful and caused even more loss of life. Uh, regarding the hosts, Ryan and Dave, Ryan, congratulations. As not coming off as a normal alum of the University of Southern California, that's a common theme, I guess. Ryan, <laughs> while I enjoy your. Uh, consistently derogatory comments about the FUCLA administration, athletic department, football staff, head coach, and general football program. I do wonder why you are a UCLA site man, especially given you live in Atlanta. I think he means he met you. He he put me, but I think he met you because you're the guy that lives in Atlanta and covers UCLA, not me. Uh, Are you patiently waiting for the Georgia Southern site to open up? Do tell. In all seriousness, Keep up the good work and go Devils. P.S. Cartman is the best, and you need to have him on some more. You are right. All right. Um, so the question is why I live in Atlanta? No, it's why do you cover the team when you hate them so much and you live in Atlanta? and all that stuff? Oh, God, right. Um, well, it's uh, it, it's mixed in with like personal self-loathing. Like it's just a, I think it's like all in the aura, all in the atmosphere. So... You kind of just take it all in. So, I, you know, the 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 loathing of UCLA athletics on like just kind of a 
year by year level, like that's I, I couldn't take that away from myself. It's an important piece of uh, everything going on here. Yeah. Um, so that's one. And then um, I didn't always live in Atlanta, moved to Atlanta. Um, so I kept doing this for the pure fun of it. Yeah. The pure S's and G's. All right. Next up. So this is the kind of this is what I'm talking about. with The five star review subject line mediocre. This is from Cougar Oz. Words that come to mind about this podcast, fair to middling, humdrum, passable, so-so. They do just enough to keep me coming back every week, hoping that the wheels come off. Never does. Shucks. Honestly, this is one of my favorite podcasts. Listen to it every week. Guys are pretty unbiased and call it how it is. Keep up the good work. Oh. But, you know, I like a five-star review that leads off with mediocre. That's good. I like that. You like that. Now, Jay Green Williams gave us four stars. So he's he was using, like, the Amazon model here. He's like, good Pac-12 info, but... So he's... He feels like we're not quite up to five-star status, you know, and so he's not following your rules. Uh, sometimes people who do podcasts like this think that listeners care about their, quote, superior political beliefs. Ryan does a good job of avoiding politics, but Dave somehow thinks that we care about his political and re- religious beliefs. If they stuck to Pac-12 sports, they get five stars from me. Otherwise, good source for Pac-12 football. Wow, a lot of haters this week. Um, So... Here's so first line. Think that listeners care about their he he put quotation marks around superior political beliefs. If you don't think that your beliefs are superior, right? Like if you don't think your opinions are superior, wouldn't you change your opinions? Doesn't everyone inherently think that their opinion is superior? Otherwise, they would have a different opinion. I mean, sometimes you don't feel super strongly about a subject and. Like I wasn't sure. super oh, yeah, strong yeah, yeah, about no, Red claim Delicious. ignorance about something for sure, right? Yeah. I, like Red we Delicious. We don't do that on I this show. Like... We No, no. We're going to fight strongly about different things on this show that we know nothing about. True. But like generally speaking, if you have an opinion on something, you're going to think it's probably pretty good, right? Yeah. Otherwise, you would have a different opinion. Anyway. Um, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I got nothing for you, Jay Green Williams. So he's, you know, he he wants a little less of the the politics from you, Dave. But yeah, I mean, we'll see. There's not really a whole lot going on out there, except for like the entire world, things moving along apace. So can't promise you anything, Jay Green Williams. <laughs> promise you. I'm curious what today's going to be like. So, we'll... <laughs> oh boy, um, this is from Mike Reno, uh, five star review. Department of Redundancy Department. Uh, love the podcast, but I've never understood why directly after the theme introduces both of you, you proceed to tell who you are again, or perhaps you do it to accommodate Joe Biden. Wow, that's a good one. Um, <laughs> um, to be fair, we yeah. don't listen to the intro. It's yeah, just there. So that's the thing is, I, I hadn't actually, so uh, taking you behind the scenes, I hadn't listened to a completed show in a really long time, and then I listened to it again, like probably a year ago. Like, I don't think I listened to a completed show after, like, the first one for, like, a year and a half. Um, and then I – no, longer than that because I didn't listen to, again until, like, a year ago. Um, and then I heard it, and I'm like, oh, wow, that's weird. But I can't train myself to do it a different way. Like, just being able to say whatever it is about 20 words in a row the same-ish way every time is hard enough for me. I have no idea how Ryan manages his side of it, um, but I can barely manage, like, saying the same 20 words in a row. Same. <laughs> <laughs> no, I can't train myself to do it a new way, so sorry. You're stuck with a, a redundant intro. 
Yeah, we could change the intro itself, I guess, but that would take work. That's the only answer, actually, because yeah. I'm, I'm not changing. Uh, Ext Ute. Uh, it's a podcast, that's for sure. What I mean, what a great, what, that's a great subject. We love that. <laughs> <laughs> it's a podcast. Ryan puts in some, <laughs> Ryan puts some effort into it. David less so, but they both say words in English and record them. Occasionally, those words are about, quote, major college football as played in the Western United States. Sometimes their words are interesting, entertaining, or even funny. Usually not, but sometimes ain't bad. Five stars. All right. That's a strong one. Uh, this is a one-star review, which, frankly, again, come on. R&B nut, this is, you could have written this exact same thing with a five-star review. Right. Um, I posted this one on Twitter because I found it funny. Um, <laughs> waste of time. The USC guy tries to provide information, which we're going to get back to, but how damning is that? You try, but you yes. fail is the implication there. Um, and insight. But David Woods is worthless. Their episodes usually include 10 minutes of Pac-12 football-related topics, then over an hour of nonsense. I wish there was better content for Pac-12 fans. Yeah. It, was, it got a lot of uh, action on Twitter. It did. Bro. It got a lot of love. Yeah. It was pretty funny. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, we don't want the one stars. But there was, uh, you know, we had Hitler, they break it down. On yeah. Twi- he said, we had reviews uh, of this review on Twitter. Yeah. Um, yeah, I would say. Um, so is the critique here the fact that 10 minutes is too much? Because that's the way I'm going to take it. Too much. Yeah, no, I think so. He wants more nonsense, right? Yes. <laughs> okay, cool, cool, cool. Just making sure. We um, can get a better review from him. Yeah, we'll get a better review from him next time because I'm sure he's going to continue listening. Yeah. Uh, this is Goat of All College Football Podcast from Jedi Bruin. Another long one. Uh, and I'm reading this on my iPad. It's like super small. So this is like, <laughs> it's like my iPad's like far away from the microphone. So it makes it a little tougher. The fact that the, that my guys, Dave and Ryan, covered the Malaysian ins- insurrection <laughs> in one of their podcasts made me a fan for life. <laughs> that is something that happened on this college football show. It, it did. Uh, well, I would have been a fan regardless, but that's neither here nor there. Ryan does a magnificent job holding it down. He's the CEO, but Dave, I appreciate Dave because as a white dude, he does his best to disrupt the prevailing colonial settler mindset in a white Euro dominated space. Only thing that can enhance the POC is if they actually had more POC representation. Um, But a shut up and dribble, right? Hell no. Dave won't let that happen. Much love for both of you. P.S. I'm also a Bruin who married a Trojan. And you guys are the only sports podcast my partner will listen to on our long road trips because she finds your chemistry endearing. Much love and hope. And your families are safe in these uncertain times. So it's sort of like us. We're like we're like a married Trojan Bruin. Yeah. Uh, oh, wait. Yeah. Oh, wait. You said you read these questions. So here goes. Oh, crap. Here we go. Uh, in both your primes, I think Ryan might still be in his prime. Sorry, Dave. Based on your chronicles of children rearing and probably have a full uh blown dad bod uh don't mean the body <laughs> shame uh, which current or past usc ucla player reminds you the most of yourself mm. oh mm. Mm. who reminds me shoot uh i'm trying 
I, like the thing is, like I don't want to insult any former UCLA football or basketball players by yeah. comparing them to myself. Right. Yeah. Like because I'd be picking the worst one I can imagine. Which then everyone knows that's the worst. Which would be player. mean. But yeah. just it, okay. Here's here's what it is. Picture in your mind the worst bench warmer that the UCLA basketball team has ever had. And then divide that person by four. <laughs> and that'll be about where I was in my prime. My athletic prime was when I was 16 years old and I could shoot and play hard on defense in basketball. Nothing else. Couldn't dribble a bit, but I could shoot. That was about it. Nice. Yeah. I was the same thing. Like I was pretty good. Like I wasn't a very good uh, basketball player, even though I was tall. Uh, I never played football, which I, I kind of wish I did, but I was, you know, I'm not real fleet of foot. Um, I have good like dexterity. So like, you know, catching and stuff, I could do that. I would probably have to be like a tight end and put on a bunch of pounds to do something like that. But I get, yeah, it's hard to like pick someone that I would resemble just, I, I'm not like a footballer body, I guess. So I don't really, yeah, I don't want to insult anyone. Um, <laughs> but I guess I would have been a quarterback. Probably that would have been, you know, you could look like a quarterback or something. But uh, if you're, if you, you look like a USC quarterback, could I do that? I'm six three. Kind of I could the, do you got it. Kind of the USC quarterback look to you. Yeah, I could do that. Something like that. Um, who would be? I don't know. But anyway, like a bad one. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, like no, a no, really a bad, bad one. bench warmer walk on. You know. Doesn't even he can't he's like fourth string holding you know as the holder that's why you're on the team yeah you're like a couple of weeks of Ricky Town yeah I could do some Ricky Town um I mean I literally watched him throw five interceptions and eight throws during an off season <laughs> workout <laughs> like not that not a freaking joke I'm like I could do that like I I could I guess I could do that no, I could sorry, I could walk out on a football field right now and do that yeah. And Ricky Town is a hundred times better football player than me, but I think I could go out there and make eight throws and not get five of them picked. So I, I could do that. Um, maybe even complete a couple. Who knows? And he says, too, if you were both head coaches of your rep- respective programs, how would you best characterize the type of coach you'd be and your feel and your on-field style and who would win in the matchup if talent was more or less equal? Much love. Hmm. So, okay, so I would obviously, um, I would I would be a um, statistical and mathematically oriented head coach um, in my uh, mind's eye, but um, on game day, I would probably make nothing but irrational um, hoping for <laughs> a lot of these choices. Because I'm 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 smart as can be before there actually comes a moment to make a decision, and then I am the dumbest person alive. <laughs> uh interesting um i think it'd be you know i'd be aggressive you know with the whatever i'd want to do i mean i don't mind different kinds of offenses but i i would like to be contrarian at some point like if you want to run like a if talent's the same but you could run like a triple option thing i think that would be kind of fun but that would just be more of like just for fun you know um but i think i'd be a lot of the analytical stuff too you know as far as like what decisions you make and what you're doing. Um, I, I hope I'll keep a cleaner head than Dave will when the, the bullets start flying, but I don't know. I, yeah, I would, I would just try to be, you know, aggressive and, 
you know, get after like blitz a lot and, uh, you know, push the ball down the field. Like, I, I think that's the style I would probably have. Okay. I don't yeah. know who would win between us, but. I mean, I mean, am I coaching UCLA? No, he said the talent's about the same. So it could Talent's be about the same? Unless we're both coaching UCLA, but. <sighs> Man, it's hard to say. It's hard to say. Yeah. I mean, I want to say I'd win, but again, I'd probably make a lot of dumb choices. <laughs> um, it'd be fun, though. Fun. It'd be a lot of fun. All right, so this is another rule breaker. Um, four stars, not five. Uh, Dave P.H. Dunn. So I assume this is somebody who's finished a Ph.D. program. Congrats to you, David. Yeah, congrats to you, Dave. I'm assuming it's me. I finished a Ph.D. program. Give me, give oh, me nice. congratulations. Yeah. Um. More than just the sports podcast, Ryan and David are knowledgeable about Pac-12 sports and so much more, making this the perfect podcast for the Conference of Champions. They have addressed issues from football to COVID to U.S. presidents and ranked them all. I appreciate hearing from and about other conference schools as a lead-in to the season. It is a safe-for-work podcast, whether working from home or not. It would earn a fifth star if they could keep each jam-packed show under the one-hour mark. Hashtag GoBroins. Okay, so we're never getting a fifth star from Dave Ph. Dunn. No, because uh, we don't. Yeah, I, to be fair though, most of all the feedback we get, or at least I get, is that they like they would rather have it longer, not shorter. Yeah. So there is. So this speaks to I think people's different brains, like the way that they are organized. Some people cannot handle like coming back to something, watch, listening to a few minutes of it, then coming back to it later. They're like, I want my hour for my commute, and then I want to listen to something else on my way home or whatever it is. Other people are like, oh, I'll listen to like 15 minutes here or there, or, you know, I'll listen while I work out and then I'll listen to a little bit later, or I'll listen to like half an hour and then not finish the thing. Um, those are the people that, you know, we're recording two and a half hour shows for. Yeah. We got uh, Paul and Phil. Phil? Yeah, Paul and Phil, I guess. Uh, well yeah. done. Five stars. Go Bears. If you were a betting man, who would you take in the North-South? In the Civil War? I th- <laughs> Is Ball and Phil tra- time traveling here? He's, I think he's talking about the divisions. Oh, the yes, 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 yes. Um, okay, if we're not talking Union versus Confederacy... Um, if we're talking about within these football divisions, I will go ASU in the South and I will go the Oregon Ducks in the North. Yeah, I'll probably go Oregon and USC at this point. I think USC still has the most talent and they'll probably win the South. Yeah, that's a good reason for USC to win the South. That's why they've won the South each of the years that the Pac-12 has been in place, right? Uh, they won two years, three years ago. Yeah. They always have the most talent is my point. Oh, right? yeah. They do that. They've, they've had some talent. Yeah, a little bit. Um, All right. <laughs> that Oh, we got one more? Yeah, we got one from Jesus for Life. Got to read. Got to read it from the man. All right. Five stars. Listen, it's fine. <laughs> so I'm taking that two ways. One is like, listen, it's fine. Or it's a command. Listen. Yeah. It's fine. How are you taking it? You taking uh, it as an interjection or a command? You tell me. I think it's a command. I think so too. Yeah, I like the command. 
All right. Well, thank you all for your reviews. Um, please send us more. But yeah, just we... please abide by the guidelines. Say whatever things you want to say. Just give us those five-star ratings. We Yeah, we love those. Um, all right. We uh, the First up, we have uh, Larry Scott did an interview with 24-7 Sports. So this was with uh, Brandon Marcello. And basically announced that the Pac-12 was going to require schools to test players weekly. So it would be for COVID-19 for the virus, but also antibody testing, which... You know, I don't know if you need that every week, but whatever. That's what they're. So this is an area where the Pac-12 is out in front, and uh, he he's quoted in the story as we're going to have uniformity in the Pac-12. We've got a very strong medical advisory committee made up of our team docs and trainers, but we've got seven or eight infectious disease experts that are associated with these great university hospitals and medical research centers. They have specialists in this area, and the collaboration has been terrific. So we don't know a lot of the details of like, you know, what's going to happen. He said the testing protocols are going to evolve through the summer. Um, You know, right now, uh, there's two states in the Pac-12 footprint that have not opened up gyms, Washington and and California. But they both said that they would allow pro sports in June. So it seems like everyone's kind of getting on the same page. What were your thoughts on uh, this Larry Scott news? Certainly, certainly optimistic for a football season. It seems like a lot of the just kind of general feeling now is that there's going to be a football season and it might even be a full one. Um, So I think it sounds like this. I mean, it's a continuation of what we've been hearing now for weeks that, you know, these states and what we talked about, what we talked about with Wilner last week, that um, everyone's getting pretty optimistic about everything opening up. So, um yeah, I mean, I think if if the priority is having a football season, I think um, things are looking much better there. And I think a lot of it, if you read the story um, talking about it, where other places weren't talking about testing, and what Scott was saying was if you follow the logic, um, the idea of checking for symptoms, it's too late if you get a symptom. You've probably been infectious for a few days before. Yeah. And so for that reason and others, there will be testing. Um so that was kind of the thing, which which makes sense. You know, it's like, yeah, if, if you're just like, well, someone has a symptom, we're going to test them. Um, the, the reason you kind of need testing is because you could have it, you know, pop up. Now, I don't know if you, the test happens. If you're asymptomatic, uh, is the test always positive? I mean, there's been so many weird test results, but. Uh, yeah, I mean, the tests are not perfectly accurate. There's two things. I mean, you, you can't go by symptoms because a lot of people are asymptomatic. Like even they, they. It, some people are asymptomatic throughout and some people have a period of being asymptomatic before they start developing symptoms. So you can't just go by symptoms because by all accounts, when you're asymptomatic, you can still be very contagious. Um, but on top of that, the tests themselves are not still perfectly accurate. Um, they've got a pretty high degree of accuracy so that, you know, they can be used, but, um, there, there's gonna be some, uh, they can't expect to go through this without some level of infection. Like some yeah. people are going to get sick. Um, and so that I think is remains the outstanding question. Are they going to have like, are they going to have written guidelines for what they're going to do in the event of people getting ill? Um, and how's that all going to work? And it sounded from Wilner like that was going to be the next step. Once we get into June and July, um, figuring out liability, figuring out what it'll mean when somebody gets sick, what the procedure is going to be. Um, Because it sounds like everything is getting into place to get the ball rolling. It's just a question of, you know, 
preventing or, or putting in place systems to keep the ball rolling. Yeah. So optimism. We, yeah, we keep sure. more optimism every week. And it's, I know optimism is the enemy of Dave, but we're, you know, we're, this is where we are. So I'm a long-term optimist. Yeah. Just short-term, short-term. nothing but darkness. <laughs> um, so also, and I want to get your opinion on this stuff, Dave. So the PAC 12 released a joint statement um, signed, I believe it was all the athletic directors. Uh, yeah, all the PAC, all, all the PAC 12 athletic directors signed this joint statement that was sent out uh, a couple of days ago, June 1st, uh, with the, you know, the the death of George Floyd uh, that happened back on May 25th. Um, so there was that. A, a lot of the coaches have come out. I think all of the coaches have come out and made some sort of statement. And it, you know, it, it, there's a wide range. You know, you've had. I think there was praise for like Kevin Sublin, what he was able to say. I liked Herm Edwards, this kind of like steady approach. But even a guy like I think uh, John Wilner wrote about uh, Jonathan Smith at Oregon State, some of his unique you know yeah. background. And and so there was, I thought there was a lot of good that that kind of came out of this. I don't know what what you thought. I thought the Pac-12 statement was a good one, um, centered on Floyd, centered on um, I think what is the underlying thing? Because I think a lot of the recent conversation has been more about um, the looting going on um, versus what is the, what is the operating reason why all of this is happening? Um, And I think there's, I think it's, first, I think there is a lot of messiness to this whole thing. It's, it's hard for people to establish like just a baseline narrative, but if you're looking for the fundamental thing that's causing all of it, it's, you know, hundreds of years of oppression of black Americans. Um, and in the case of, you know, police and, um, you know, governmental systems that are incarcerating them at high levels, it's uh, state sanctioned. Um, and I think a lot of these statements have done a good job. And honestly, to me, a kind of shockingly good job of um, acknowledging that. Um, I, I think there's a level of honesty to a lot of these statements that's been lacking in the past when certain things have happened, um, where it's more about, um, well, and I'll get into it. Uh, Chip Kelly's statement, I thought, was more of an example of what these kinds of statements have always looked like, um, where it's just kind of general, doesn't even talk about, um, didn't mention Floyd's name, didn't talk about, I don't even think used the word race, didn't use the word racist for sure. Um, and instead centered on this generic topic of destruction, um, which, okay, if you're being kind, you might relay, you might say destruction also refers to Floyd's death. Um, but that's not how I would describe a death. Um, but say it even is true. What that serves to do is put on equal sides, um, the looting on one hand and the killing of a person on the other. Um, and the, not just the killing of the person, but the killing on killing of, multiple hundreds of people and thousands of people over the decades and centuries. Um, so I think his, his statement I thought was the most obviously bad one that was out there. I thought Herm Edwards video was not very good. That was the one about huddling, which seems to be his response to basically everything. Um, I thought someone's was really, really good. Um, I thought Mario Cristobal, he actually attended a protest, um, which is that's putting your actions, um, out there rather than just words, which I thought was really good too. I thought Clay Helton had a good statement. It was a good, solid statement. Um, he centered on Floyd, 
talked about the issues themselves. Um, I thought his his statement was solid. The only one that I found that was really lacking, and I didn't read them all, so I don't know about Kyle Whittingham. Um, I didn't read a statement from Carl Durrell, just that he had like a short little tweet about it. Um, but of the statements released that I saw, I thought Chip Kelly's was the only one that I thought was that was a miss. Um, that was an opportunity, I think, to um, get on the right side of this. Um, and instead, what he chose was um, a middle of the road statement where I don't think there is a middle of this road. I think it's either, look, you're on the side of state violence or you're on the side of the people. Um, and, uh, I think a lot of the league and a lot of the coaches in the league chose where they wanted to stand and, and chip didn't make a choice, which is making a choice. Yeah. I mean, it's, t- I, I mean, I just, I don't feel qualified to speak about this. I've done multiple shows and I've had people email me saying that they've liked what I've said, which I really appreciate. Cause you just, you don't want to say the wrong thing. And I don't want to be critical if a coach goes out there and makes a statement and you just, you know, if it, Unless it's like heinous, I, it's just hard for me. Just, I, I just don't want to be the guy that throws that stone. I get what you're saying, um, but it's tough. I think a, a lot of people are struggling with the right things to say, and there's guilt there. There's all kinds of there's all kinds of emotions, and nobody wanted to see, you know, that tragedy and the, the murder. And I apparently, while we were recording, Dave, they've uh, charged the other three officers in Minneapolis. Yeah, they got aiding and abetting, and and the. Uh... The Chauvin guy, he got, he's now being charged with second degree. Oh, so they bumped it up. Okay. So, I mean, good news there. And, and really the the tough part I have, Dave, is like, you try to do the right thing and there's still going to be, no matter what you do, there's going to be people that are critical with what you say, or you should have done this. That's good, but you didn't do that. Or, you know, and and that's just tough. You're just trying to do, you don't want to offend people. You're trying to do the right thing. I was really encouraged with you know, I lived through the LA riots. That was not fun. I mean, that was shitty like that. Just, I mean, being in Los Angeles and being at USC and having everything around you burn, um, was just terrible. And that, you know, that wasn't happening this time. There was definitely some looting and and some of that, but I, you know, I think the news sort of shifted and focused more on a lot of the peaceful stuff, which was great. The beach cities had uh, a protest, um, yesterday on Tuesday that was, that was all peaceful from what I understood. Um, you know, they marched from like Manhattan beach to Hermosa beach. So I've gone to different areas and it was really diverse. I think it was mostly white people actually that were in that one. So, I mean, and you see like national guardsmen kneeling down with, with protesters. Like, so to me, I see a lot of like positive stuff coming from this. So I, you know, I mean, you can be optimistic that, that things can, can change and you hopefully they can, but it's, it, it's a tough subject. And like I said, I, I mean, I don't know what was in Chip Kelly's heart when he wrote that, if he was just trying to be middle of the road or what, but I, it's oh, no, I, I don't, I, I, so to be clear, I don't care about what was in his heart. There's a lot of talented people at UCLA who could have helped him write a statement that would have hit his, there was every single other coach in the league that I saw produced a better statement. Um, and it's, this is, I mean, it's a, it's something that rubbed a lot of former players the wrong way on Twitter. Like, it's not like it's just in a vacuum. This was a, oh, you know, we don't want to critique a guy for having a milquetoast statement. Um, virtually every other coach in, not even just Pac-12, but like any other coach I was seeing issue any kind of statement on this produced something that actually mentioned Floyd's name. Um, 
so yeah, I, I will be critical because there there was an easy way to get this done the proper way, and to write something that neutral takes effort. Um, to not reference a death takes effort. Um, you could write something very simple. We are sorry for George Floyd's death um, and all of the ongoing tragedies in this country, um, and we can hope, we can hope for peace and justice and all that kind of crap. Um, you don't even have to mention race, but you got to mention the guy's name. Um, so, yeah, no, I I do have a problem with that statement. I do think it's fair to criticize it. Um, and, um, but yeah, I think to your point, um, there are, I think, a lot of optimistic signs. I think there's a lot of photo oppy stuff happening, um, which I don't think is meaningful. But I do think the general tenor of the conversation is better than it's been um, in terms of I think a lot of um, organizations, a lot of prominent people um, are now – I think the, the window has shifted where they're talking about the right things. Um, the, the conversation isn't at all really that I've seen about, oh, what was Floyd up to? Well, you know, Why did this happen? Um, there's nobody trying to justify that it's right for that guy to have died because he may or may not have counterfeited a $20 bill. Um, so that's, that's a good move because that's usually what happens in this situation is there's going to be a lot of elements talking about, well, did he have it coming? Um, so the fact that that's not happening or at least not happening at the scale where I'm even noticing it, I think is a good thing. And the fact that most people are talking about, well, this is an ongoing problem. Um, police brutality, uh, black men getting killed at much higher rates than anybody else by police. Um, that's an ongoing issue. Um, and people talking about that openly, um, and prominent people who are basically triangulating statements, um, like all these coaches and all these politicians saying that openly, um, that's a sign that the window is shifting. Like the window of acceptable discourse is, is shifting a little bit. So that's, I think, uh, I think that's the best sign. I think you, you hit it. Um, just that so many more people seem to be, um, talking about that. Yeah. But, you know, I think that, you know, John Wilner had a piece about it in the Pac-12. There's not a lot of diversity in college football as far as head coaches go. There is in the Pac-12. So that's a that's a good thing. You can hear from some different voices across the conference. So um, not an easy subject, uh, but, you know, I think uh, kudos to the Pac-12 for the most part for it looks like doing the right thing. Um, let's take a quick break, Dave. We'll come back and we'll uh, get to some questions. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. 
Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. All right, we're back here on the podcast of Champions. How was your break? It was good. Uh, I ran pee real quick, you know, just uh, yeah. do what you I just ran do. a couple of sprints around the house. Um, the, the juice cleanse, I'm day, day two of this. I've done it before. Not fun. I'm not like super hungry. I'm hungry, though. You, want, you look at food, you want to eat food. You get to consume like six juices a day. But, man, you just want to like, you just want to eat something. And uh, yeah. this is probably a bad idea. But here I am. I'm doing it. I think, once I decide to do something, I'm like, okay, I'm going to do this. It's three days I can do it. But I'm regretting it now. I just don't want to be doing it. Yeah. Um, we got a little uh, news, football news. Brian Fisher tweeted out. I don't remember who broke it. He might have, but it might have been someone else. So Stanford added uh, Isaiah Sanders. He's a quarterback from Air Force. So I started six games, I believe. Um, he is only the second graduate transfer in program history. And he's going to be the first on the farm to wear number zero. You like a quarterback word number zero, Dave? No, I don't love it. I don't love it. Um, so he would be the backup to um, Davis Mills. Looks like he only has one year to play. I believe, yeah, he's a grad transfer. I think he's a one, one for one. So it's a little bit of depth. Um, so looking at his statistical profile last year, he played in eight games, it tells me. Um, and I think he started he, six, but maybe he played in eight. Got one. it. Got it. Um, so he was pretty good runner um he had averaged about uh oh wait no you're right it was five games last year eight games the previous year so oh. you were right i was wrong um so save that drop yeah 2018 2018 he was a pretty good runner he averaged four yards a carry last year it dropped off to only 10 attempts um but pretty decent dual threat looks like um and he only threw five passes last year so 78 passes the previous year um, but only five passes last year. Obviously, wow. Air Force is running a little bit of a different system than Stanford will be running. But, um, yeah, I mean, good for depth. And it seems like they'll have a guy who can probably run their Wildcat crap. Yeah. No, I think uh, he could come in and do that. Maybe be like a specialty. Yeah, like a special play sort of thing. Um, yeah. Davis Mills is not exactly state healthy. So who knows? Maybe he'll. And his but... his. His per throw stats are really good. I mean, he averages he's averaged nine point seven yards per attempt in his career, but I think that's partly just because Air Force isn't throwing the ball a ton. Right. When they do, so, it's like a big play. Yeah. Yeah. So. We also, if you remember Hithliday's email from last week, uh, he had a question and we didn't really know it about Todd Graham. So I emailed Chris Cartman about it. But he said, uh Hitlerday had said Graham's constant glad handling was instrumental to raising two hundred and sixty-eight million dollars for stadium and facility upgrades at ASU, completed in twenty seventeen, just in time for his firing, and that the distraction and the exhaustion involved led him to delegate football responsibilities counterproductively. That sounds almost too ironic to be real. Does it ring true to you? And then Cartman wrote me back and said, Yeah, uh, we've said that for years, but it's only a small part of the story. But Graham is giving himself the best portrayal possible. He definitely spread himself too thin and was very nearsighted. But that's his nature anyway. He's a micromanager, short-sighted. 
He wouldn't have known how to do it any other way. And as a result, he failed to build a strong program, didn't delegate trust and power people, made major league staffing and recruiting mistakes. There were lots of problems, as one would expect. The idea that he only was done in by this one individual thing is not remotely true. So he had a lot of problems, but that wasn't the, the thing that crashed his, crashed his uh, rain down. Okay. Yeah. I'll buy it. Cartman's the guy. Cartman's the man. We did have a request in the, uh, I'm totally losing my voice. We had a request in the, um, in the reviews, right? So there you go. We, yeah. we got Cartman on the show in, in some, in, in some that's, way. That's what we do for you, the people. Yeah. Um, okay. Who are we on? I think okay. Nick. You want to start with Nick? I'll start with Nick. All right, Nick. Big 12. Uh, I was reading on the Audible. Reading on the Audible. The Audible is a podcast. Yeah, you weren't read. Were you? Were you, Nick? I don't believe you. <laughs> uh, they were speculating that the Big 12 was going to poach some of the Pac-10 teams. Wow. We need to fact check, Nick. Some things are going on here, Nick, and I'm loving them, but they're happening. <laughs> Uh, mainly because Mike Bohm is doing <laughs> interviews saying suck. Wow. Another typo, uh, is willing to go or go independent. Can you envision a scenario where this happens and what teams would go in this scenario? Where would each team end up? Love the show. Keep up the good work. Thanks for keeping us entertained during this time. Thanks, Nick. Uh, we, did we talk about this like a week or so ago, um, where we were talking about what, like if the big 12 poach teams, like which teams would go like, um, like you could, there could be a pair. Like if you were to do the LA schools, USC and UCLA, uh, would Colorado want to go back, but like a Colorado, Utah thing, or Utah would be part of that. Or if they're going to cherry pick like Oregon, like if they were going to be, so if we, I think we were talking about the, uh, relegation thing, like the super, super conference, like the premier league, um, who goes in there? Is it Oregon or Washington and USC and UCLA or is Utah in there or, how does that all work? So, yeah, I don't know. Uh, it's, it's poaching teams, though. You got to bring a lot to the table because of the, you know, you, every team you bring in, you're dividing that contract, TV contract money up more. So they got to bring a lot to the table if you're bringing someone in. Yeah, that sounds right. Um, yeah, I think I agree. Is there any teams you think would be? I mean, Utah's like new. I don't know if they would want to leave unless it was like a mass exodus. I think um, like my so my thing on the Big 12, if it were to ever happen, it would have to be some sort of Super League scenario again. Like it would have to be like 16 teams. Um, I just don't. I Wouldn't it be hard for USC to break apart from UCLA? Like I, I, I think that'd think be so. difficult. I mean, Texas um, and Texas A&M did it. Um, I guess it just seems like I don't know. It, it seems maybe it's just like my old traditionalist mindset because that's who I am. I'm such a traditionalist, um, but I, I just have a hard time envisioning it. Um, yeah. But like the scenario that makes the most sense would be like just geographically, like the Southwest schools, you know, Arizona and Arizona State, um, Utah and Colorado. Those would be the natural geographic picks, but they don't make I don't think they make much sense for the Big 12 from a footprint standpoint, um, unless they were also getting UCLA and USC on top of it. Yeah. Um, like ASU at Arizona State, there's a, I mean, I think that's, there's a valuable package there. Phoenix is a pretty big market. But it's hard to envision UCLA and USC without Cal Stanford. I can envision UCLA, USC without the Washington schools or the Oregon schools, but 
Cal Stanford. Yeah, that's a can't tough really one. Can't really do it. No. Um, so. And there's just the, the Cal Stanford, even though they're in California, it's not – if that was some package deal that some conference wanted to poach, there's just not going to be the same value there. Like there's the, – part of the tradition of them being where they are is just – I mean, that's kind of their value. But if you were like going somewhere else, I think it's like, oh, like we're going to bring tons more – you know, television viewers, like, no, you're not like they're Stanford Cal has their own kind of thing going on, which is great, but it's like, it's their own thing. If you needed to bring them into your conference, they're going to be taking a big share of the money, but not necessarily bringing as many eyeballs on where if, like with the Los Angeles schools, it's going to be different. I mean, you're, you're going to the number two market in the country. Um, and there's, you know, the SC football tradition, the UCLA basketball tradition. There's like, you're bringing a lot of championships, Cal and Stanford, you bring in a lot of Olympic championships. It does that if that matters, that matters. But right now it's more about football, basketball, and USC UCLA just do that better. Yep, totally. Uh let's see. This one, I don't know if it's signed. Uh whatever. So bad fan bases, Mike Leach and new teams. In college football, some fan base bases seem so unrealistic. It's crazy. For example, Nebraska fans think they should be a national power going for national titles. Go on, no G. For national titles every year, despite playing in a state with no talent and not being, he's dropping some G's, good since before the kids they recruit were even born. Why do some fan bases feel they are entitled to be good? Is there a fan base in the Pac-12 that fits that profile? Ooh, what do you mm. think? I'd probably lean towards Oregon right now because they've like tasted success, but haven't like like Nebraska has success in the the past. Um, so you can see why you'd want to get back to that. Oregon feels like they feel like the tradition is there, but they haven't won any championships. So there's like something, a little something missing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I don't know if Oregon's the right fit because they do have more money than God now. And right. they have been, which is part of the reason the expectations are so high, but they've also been elite for a decade. Like I'm looking for a past power that has struggled since, but still has high expectations. And I don't know if there's a perfect fit. Honestly, UCLA uh, is close, but I think the fan base is so beaten down that there aren't really real expectations anymore. Um, Washington, maybe more than Oregon. Yeah. So not there's a better recruiting base, but the brand hasn't been as strong late. I mean, obviously Chris Peterson era has been good, but they might be more of a fit for it than Oregon. Um, but I don't think there is a perfect fit in the league because uh, the thing with the, uh, yeah, yeah, I don't think it's a great fit in the league. I mean, but Washington because was like UCLA oh, plays in a good state for talent, so it's like there's always a reason for it. They just haven't been good. Yeah, I don't think the Arizona schools have outsized expectations. I don't think Utah or Colorado. I, honestly, Colorado is another one that have been so beaten down. The thing is with Nebraska that makes it unique is they haven't been beaten. It's been like eight and five for a bunch of years and then a couple of sixes and sixes and then, you know, been a couple of four and eights. But they haven't been absolutely crushed the way Colorado was. Um, yeah, I don't think there's a good Cal. But again, the state thing. But Cal has outsized expectations because of the Tedford era. I remember that fan base getting super arrogant during the Tedford era. Okay. Screw um, it, Cal. All right, go with Cal. He also says, with Mike Leach leaving Washington State for Mississippi State, it begs the question, why? 
I think his G key has a problem because he put an extra G in bags but left off G's other places. Um, he says, yes, it's the SEC and more money, but the programs are in roughly the same place in their leagues, and Mississippi State has a much harder climb to the top as opposed to Washington State, which, um, as a witch, like flying on a broom, <laughs> he had an Apple Cup victory away from a potential playoff berth two seasons ago. Why not stay somewhere he can win? at a high level every year and stay in the shadows uh, among a community that loved him? Uh, I would guess it's a few things. One, money. Money, yeah. Two, money. Mm. Uh, Three, probably still money, but I think if you're a guy who's a competitor, which I'm sure Mike Leach is at some level, uh, you want to see what you can do. And the thing is that Mississippi State, even if um, comparatively – to the rest of the league, he's going to have about the same level of talent he had at Washington State, you know, bottom tier for the league. Um, it's still going to be way more talent than he's ever had, more yeah. than likely. Um, he's going to be able to recruit at a top 25 level pretty consistently. Um, if he can do that there and he, he wants to see what that looks like, if he can get some actual, you know, real athletic ability in that offense doing its thing and go against Saban consistently and just see what that thing looks like. I could see just professional curiosity wanting to do that. Um, You know, you're reach you're in your late fifties. You might even be 60. Now you want to see what that thing can do. I, I I get that. Um, But I think the main thing is money. I mean, he's getting more money. And I think too, the sec is set up to allow the lower teams to win easier where, like you said, with Washington state, like they couldn't get over the hump of Washington but you're going to play, you know, a lot more road games in the Pac-12. You have an extra conference game. He can go, he can win two conference games a year and still make a bowl game. So you can do that in the SEC. So you beat Vanderbilt and maybe you beat Old Miss or something and everyone's excited. And you lose to everybody else, but then you beat four cupcakes and you're out of conference. You're six and six and you make a bowl. And then you, you beat someone from the AAC in a bowl game. And you have a winning record and you really beat like nobody, but that's, you can do that in the sec and, and be somewhat successful. And I don't think you can do that in the pac 12. Yeah. And he says with the potential of expanding a never ending topic, what schools are the most realistic? I think he means about adding to the pac 12. San Diego state is strong in both football and basketball, along with Boise state. BYU fits the bill as an athletic program, but maybe not as a school. What about Gonzaga as a non-football member? There are they are a national brand as well as a national power that would greatly improve the Pac-12 basketball profile. I have a hard time seeing um, the Pac-12 ever adding a basketball non-football playing member. Um, I just don't think that would be in the cards. I think you you might be able to see it at like lower lower sport levels, but I don't think at the major two. Um, just my gut feeling. Um, San Diego State, I think, makes the most logical sense just from it being a, you know, good public institution. Um, Also a um, um, a good football basketball program. I don't know if it would make um, a ton of sense from like an expansion standpoint, whether that gives you any more of the television dollars that are so coveted with these expansions. So that's the only reason like that doesn't really make a ton of sense. But I think from, uh, you know, if they had to replace somebody um, like they just have to replace a team with a team, um, San Diego state would make the most sense. BYU. um, 
having a religious affiliation that's a strong part of the university, um, I think, is generally speaking going to be a deal breaker uh, for the Pac-12. Um, and that's no, I'm not commenting on the religion itself. Um, I would think the same would be true for basically any institution like um, that's religious in nature. I think Notre Dame would have the same issues if they were trying to join the Pac-12. Um, uh, I just don't think it would fit with the, uh, you know, public, these giant research universities and, and these, you know, private institutions that, I don't know, did USC have a religious affiliation way back in its past? Methodist. Ever? Methodist, I believe. They're, yeah. they're actually, nickname was the Methodist. Yeah, but that's gone way past in the in the distant future. And Stanford, I can't remember. Um, I know their founder was a eugenicist. I don't know if that counts as a religion. Um, so, but those are the two. Um, and then everyone else is a major public research university, which BYU is also not. So yeah. I don't think it would fit from an academic profile, which would preclude it from fitting from a, uh, an athletic profile. Um, but San Diego State might. Um, and I don't know if there are other good fits. Yeah. Cool. All right. Um, this is from our man Hithliday. Neckbet. That's like an Egyptian thing, right? Let's see. It looks Egyptian, right? With the K-H. The mother of mothers who have existed from the beginning. She was a white vulture goddess and protector of Egypt and the pharaohs. I am. Okay. Not so, sure where this is going. Yeah, sometimes you can know what he says. You know where it's going after we Google it, but then I don't know what this one's going to be. All right. The high-profile coaching turnover in the Pac-12 has obscured some of the more interesting moves at the assistant level, including a lot of teams swapping positional coaches within the conference. Let's start with the South. Kevin Sumlin at Arizona replaced his entire defensive staff, bringing in familiar faces Paul Rhodes, Andy Buh, and Greg Burns. How do you boys rate those hires? Uh, I mean, I, I don't know enough about those guys. Greg Burns was at USC. He seemed to do a pretty good job with the young secondary. Uh, I don't know the other guys as much, so it's hard to say. But I, yeah, I, I like Greg Burns. I thought did a good job. I wasn't super high on the hire, him, bringing him back. He was at USC in the early 2000s. Um, but for a young secondary that was thought to be the question mark on the defense, they, they played well last year. So I would give him a, a positive nod. So Andy Boo is actually how you pronounce his name, uh, was the most recently the defensive coordinator for Rutgers. Um, okay. No idea what that means. I think Rutgers was maybe slightly better in 2019. I'd have to look, and I don't want to look. Um, uh, before that, he was the Maryland defensive coordinator um, for three seasons. Did he leave right around when that whole thing was going down at Maryland? I don't know. That's a good question. No idea. No idea. No idea about him at all. Uh, Paul Rhodes, he might be good. I've talked about him a little bit on the show before. He was the defensive backs coach for UCLA this past year. Um, the defensive backs were not very good. Um, there were some mitigating circumstances, mainly the scheme. Um, seemed like some guys just didn't um, uh, didn't improve at all, which is a worrying sign. Um, but there's a big difference between being a position coach and being a coordinator. So, um, you know, he was a coordinator. He was a head coach in the past. So we'll see. Um, but I didn't think he did a great job last year with the defensive backs. But um, that defense generally wasn't very good. And I think a lot of the onus was put on the defensive backs to do a lot of things that maybe they weren't capable of. And it made them all look worse. So um, jury's hey, so out for me on Rhodes. Andy, is it, you said Boo? Is it how you say Boo, it? Yeah, Boo, yeah. Yeah, Andy Boo. So he was a defensive coordinator at a couple other spots and he's now like an outside linebacker coach. So I always like that where you get like 
hey, you got someone that was more qualified to do the job you're hiring for. So that I think that's a positive sign, too. Yeah. Uh, Herm Edwards has moved ASU consigliere Marvin Lewis to co-defensive coordinator alongside linebackers coach Antonio Pierce. How do you suppose that odd couple is going to work? Has Herm shot himself in the foot? Uh, I mean, I think the way he's assembled that staff has worked pretty well. And I think if he saw the way they were working together, I don't think he'd put them together if he didn't think it would work. A guy like Antonio Pierce coming in from, what was he at Long Beach Poly? And, uh, you know, brings a lot to the table as far as on the recruiting side. Uh, Marvin Lewis has so much, you know, knowledge and he's been around for so long. I, I would trust Herman Edwards to, if he he wasn't putting those two guys together unless he felt it was going to work. I, I don't think it was just something that was done, um, you know, randomly. I would I would think you know, I would trust his judgment on that one. But we could ask Cartman about that, too. Yeah, we should. Um, I I don't hate it because Antonio Pierce is um, going to be new to the gig anyway, being a defensive coordinator. So having somebody with some experience alongside him, that doesn't seem like the end of the world. Yeah. Um, now, maybe I don't know from an ego standpoint, if that's kind of the question, Hithliday, um, I don't know how they're going to play alongside each other. I don't know either of them very well, um, but we'll see. Um, I think it could be more of like a train, like, a, you know, have the experienced guy and the unexperienced guy. So the inexperienced guy can learn while Marvin Lewis is there. And then eventually Lewis will either retire or find a new job. Right. Yeah. Um. Sense. Carl Durrell has kept on four coaches from the previous staff, including Ty Summers as DC and promoting wide receivers coach Darren Chavarini and to OC. Mel Tucker did something similar, retaining three coaches from Mike McIntyre's staff. Is this a happy sign of continuity and loyalty in Boulder or a worrying sign that Colorado head coaches aren't given a free hand in hiring? Hmm. Maybe a little both. I think they retained the strength coach, which was a big deal. I, I think when we talked to Monster Tiger, I know Jer- Darren uh, Cheverini, like th- they really wanted to keep him. So uh, I think that was a concern that he wasn't going to be kept if I'm not, if I'm remembering that correctly. Um, so yeah, I mean, maybe it's a little bit of both there. Yeah, I would say a little bit of both and also timing. Um, it happened so late that maybe there's just some measure of, okay, we'll keep a few of these guys and see how they perform. Um, but I think it's a combination of all of that. I don't know. I don't know how their contracts were structured when the end dates were, um, but if they'd already been renewed, if there were buyout implications for assistance, there could have been a lot of factors that played into it. Um, so, you know, we'll see um, if if there's a jettisoning of, you know, two or three guys after next year, um, then maybe it was kind of a tryout year. We'll see. Yeah. Um, also, Colorado won't have a special teams coach. Darrell says the whole staff will coach it together, which apparently he did at UCLA as well. Did that work? I want to say he at least had a special teams coordinator a couple of years, um, but UCLA's kind of made a habit out of going back and forth on that just over the years with a variety of coaches. Um, sometimes it works out well, sometimes it doesn't. Um, it, I, I think even when they say that, when everyone is going to have a hand in it, um, there's still somebody who's managing like the key stuff, um, which is you know generally like blocking lanes and how they're going to you know attack certain things and what kind of. Um, you know, personnel they're going to use in these situations. Um, but maybe they're just not given anyone the title. I don't know. Um, but usually it'll be, you know, somebody has, you know, handles the kickoff or turn blocking. Somebody handles the, um, you know, coverage. Um, so anyway, for that, um, I can't 
honestly remember Hitler Day how good Darrell's special teams were. I know he had Maurice Drew as a punt returner for a while, which seemed to work out pretty well. I know he had a lot of good kickers and punters, but I can't, for the life of me, remember how the kick coverage and uh, kick return blocking was. I apologize profusely. I would say nowadays with the 10th assistant that I would rather see teams have a special teams coordinator than not. You have that extra spot. It's such an important part of the game. Um, I kind of hate it as an exclusive job, though. I think it's like you do special teams plus, like, I don't know, safety coaching or some crap. Yeah, I mean, that that, that makes some sense. But just having someone that's in charge, at least, um, I, I think it. I think it helps you. you know, USC's had one for quite a while. I think Pete Carroll didn't, and they, for sometimes he did, sometimes he didn't. When they had one, they actually were a lot better when, than then they weren't. But they were so talented, it didn't really matter. Like they would give up. I think the Orange Bowl against Iowa, they give up like a kickoff return for a touchdown to start the game and still blew them out. But so you know, something like that, if you're just going to be a lot better than everybody. But if special teams can be a, you know, Colorado can win a couple extra games with really good special teams. So is it worth investing into someone that's a good special teams coordinator? You know, in my opinion, probably, but my thing. So uh, thinking about it, I'd actually like linebackers coaches or inside linebackers coaches or outside linebackers coaches to be the special teams coordinator because then they can encourage and or force all of their linebackers to be really committed to special teams. True. Like when you can get starting and or second string linebackers like really going hard on special teams. That's always it's always great. Like when yeah. UCLA at the very beginning had Jeff Olbrook as their special teams coordinator, I don't think it was a coincidence that backup linebackers Jayon Brown and Cameron Judge were absolute murderers on special teams. And it makes sense. They wanted to play some more in the actual defense. Well, what better way to impress your linebackers coach, your position coach, than to go all out on special teams where you actually have an opportunity? Yeah. That's what I like to see. Nice. All right, uh, Johnny Nansen moved across town from USC to UCLA to be the defensive line coach. I haven't been particularly impressed with his career, either as a developer or as a recruiter, and I'm baffled how he keeps getting Pac-12 jobs. What am I missing? Um, apparently a very good recruiter. I don't know. Um, I never heard a whole lot of good things when he was just Sark's buddy, um, so I don't know, but uh, apparently a very good recruiter. Yeah, he was. Um, I don't think he had been in the last couple of years. And it was, uh, he was, it was, I mean, just to be fair, I mean, I, I, I thought when Sark got fired, Johnny Nansen would be the first guy to go because he was basically his right-hand man all the time. And Sark had all those problems and those demons. And he outlasted every other coach. He stayed there longer. Clay Helton kept him. And he was the last Sark assistant to go. So it was a little shocking. Um, he had coached, you know, different Thoughts like he, you know, coached linemen and he's coached running backs and stuff. There was some versatility there, and he had been kind of like the, you know, they call him like the poly whisperer. Like he was bringing in Polynesian players, but some of the stuff he was like related to Juju Smith Schuster. Um, there was there were some connections there. Lately, though, the recruiting seemed to fall off a little bit, and they really kind of de-emphasized the uh, the linebacker spots. So he was coaching, I think, the inside linebackers. Um, they had two linebackers coached last year and the linebackers just didn't do very much. So yeah, it, it was a little confusing, but you know, maybe sometimes you get a change of scenery and things will, uh, go differently. Yeah. 
Uh, we'll see. Uh, like Arizona, USC replaced its entire defensive staff, but contrary to recent tradition, none of them know the USC fight song. In fact, three of the four have never coached in the Pac-12 before. How's that transition going? Any concerns about establishing recruiting ties? Yeah, I think it's gone as well as it can be for what you've seen so far. They've only had one practice. They've said the right things. Um, they're definitely recruiting at a much higher level, and it's not necessarily about the recruiting ties. It's just the fact that you have people that are trying. Um, you know, they're they're actually talking to kids every day. They're making phone calls. They had so many uh, assistants on the staff last year that were just part time, maybe recruiters. Now you bring in a bunch of guys. I don't. I don't. Todd Orlando. I think he's been pretty good, but like a Craig Niver is one of the. He was the safety coach that comes in. He's just like relentless. He's just. He's out there recruiting all the time. Uh, they haven't had stuff like that. You bring in Dante. You know, and he comes down from Oregon, and just he's an absolute stud. No Southern California, so that helps. I think establish some of the ties. And they got some commitments from kids in Texas that haven't even been to USC yet. So I think a, a lot of them are using their recruiting ties in texas for now and they're going to start building up their local ones but they they've done good so far we just haven't seen them in a game or really a lot of practices so it's hard to say that we don't know how they're going to develop players and stuff but recruiting what they've been doing so far has been great okay and then hopefully my voice will last this last one explaining why march madness coaching is crapshoot uh this is from bruin rick hi guys i've listened since show one well that's that's amazing, Bruin. Rick. That's Thank incredible. You. It is. Because there were only two listeners on show one. So he's half of them. Wow. Uh, and was it my mother was like the other one, I think. Yeah. Or so. yeah, yeah. And I'm a total David Woods stan. I think he means fan. Uh, or is that? No, no, no. Stan is what he means. So, what so is you that? know where the, so the etymology of stan, do you know what this comes from? No. So stan is an internet slang for somebody who is a big fan of somebody, but it comes from the Eminem song stan. I think it was called Stan or Stan is a character in the song. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, oh. Stan. Um, and it's about an obsessive fan. Oh, well, there you go. See, see yeah. I'm, I'm learning from the kids these days. There you go. Uh, so he's a big David Wood Stan mm-hmm. as a member of Bro, Bruin Report Online. But I love Ryan, too, and I definitely have noticed the little audio sound effects he's been integrating into the show. They really add something. Dumb, dumber, dumbest. They were herocious. Well, the truth is, we all know Champagne Larry likes to roll large, right? <laughs> you know, since he's a Bruin fan, we'll give him this one, too. UCLA Bruins. Beautiful. Yeah, all you got to do is compliment me with sound effects, and I'll tell you. Uh, he said, sorry to bring this up so much later, David, but I remember your punditry during the UCLA basketball coaching search and how you would compare candidates. You basically threw out March Madness performance as being a, quote, crapshoot that the coaches have no influence on. Why is the NCAA tourney such a crapshoot? Isn't getting uh, the team ready for a big tourney game part of the job description? And can't some coaches be better than others at it? I know that you are well-informed, and I just was curious what led to this conclusion. Okay, so that's a sep- the third paragraph looks like a separate thought. So yeah. um, I'll take this. Um, so uh, I could probably be more specific about that. So when I'm saying a crapshoot, I mean it's a it's a very small sample size and it's very matchup dependent. Um, so say you're a team that uh, strategically you're maybe a pack line defense like Virginia was, right? Where you're um, 
letting teams shoot some threes, uh, not a ton, not like some bad defensive teams like Steve Alford's at UCLA, but you're still allowing some threes in certain situations because you want to. Um, but then you go up against a really, really, really elite three-point shooting team, some weird mid-major, um, you might lose, um, even though you're a much better team because it's just the matchup doesn't work out that well. Say you're a team that doesn't have a dominant defensive interior player, um, but you're really good shooting, but then you go up against a team that's got a seven-footer and you just can't deal with them. And even though you're maybe a better team statistically, uh, you just drew a bad matchup. Um that kind of thing. And it's such a small sample. It's only six games. So you can have a team that maybe just gets hot for six, you know, for three weeks, essentially. And then they, they win it all or go really far and beat up some teams that are ostensibly better, but just, you know, didn't get hot at the right time. Um, but I, I, I don't want to say that there's no skill involved with coaching the NCAA tournament. What I was mainly making the point was that it shouldn't preclude you from considering a coach just because they have failed to make a final four, make an elite eight or make, you know, or make it to the championship game or win a championship um, because it can just be luck of the draw, luck of the draw, luck of the draw. And if you're at a, for McCronin, if you're at a school like Cincinnati, um, you don't have the talent advantage that will keep you maybe away from those swings of fortune um, a little bit more. I think at UCLA, I mean, how many times when we watched Ben Howland's teams um, in those tournaments, did they survive a kind of a tough early game that wasn't expected? I can remember Western Kentucky. I can remember um, Alabama that one year. Um, it's just, you know, it, they were able to do that because they had more talent than those teams, but they were off those games. Um, if you're at a school with a, you know, a, a less talent level, you've got a lower margin of error. Um, so you can't expect guys to be up all the time. You can't expect every game to be just perfect 95% plus output. Um, and so that's all those factors combined. You can judge a coach off of his regular season output. Um, but once you get to the tourney time, unless it's over and over again, you're seeing the same thing happen. Like Ben Howland, I don't know how many times that guy was going to make a final four, but it was going to be really hard for him to win one because he just couldn't get out of a rigid mindset. Um, and when you're going up against teams with equal talent, you might have to, you know, think a little bit more creatively. But unless you're seeing the same thing over and over again, like say if Tony Bennett just kept losing to, you know, 16 seeds, 15 seeds, 14 seeds, then, oh, that's a real identifiable problem. Um, but if you're seeing an elite coach in the regular season, long term, I think that's going to translate to the NCAA tournament. So that's why I would judge it more, because it's 30 games a year versus, you know, as few as one, as many as six. What about the opposite side of that? Hiring a coach that made a good run. So you mean like an Andy, Andy Enfield? He did that, made a Sweet 16, right? And, and yeah, and, and that's the flip side is if you get caught up in that, you're not looking at as much track record. Um, now, there are certain situations where that might lead you to a very good hire. I think the first time Brad Stevens made a championship game, he'd only been the coach, might have been his first year. I'm trying to remember. Um, let me pull it up. But you know, if you're making a championship run, there's some luck involved. But still, you're like, there's got to be something there. Like you're not doing that randomly. You're not doing that randomly. Um, but again, you could just hit a hot streak, um, which is why I don't love it. No, so it was his third year that he was the NCAA Division One runner-up. Um, but even then, it was an elite regular season, and it was the third straight elite regular season. Um, so. 
I, I think you've always got to judge these things by body of work, um, which has to include um, elite regular seasons before you're even considering what the NCAA tournament has shown. Um, because you're not you're not hiring Brad Stevens. I mean, a big part of it was the NCAA runner-ups, obviously, but he also went 30 and four, 26 and six, 33 and five his first three years. Um, that matters. Um, so Andy Enfield, I probably wouldn't have hired him at time of hire um, because you were basically just hiring him off of, um, you know, Florida Gulf Coast um, and what they were able to do that one NCAA tournament. Yeah. And then he goes on to say, I've also been thinking about the cost of college argument that, quote, it's not worth it. And I always disagree, thinking, quote, what about the experience being exposed to other cultures and worldviews? How do you put a value on that? Then a couple episodes later, David seemingly indicated that without a doubt, he will be sending his kid to college. So don't you believe there's value beyond the salary return on investment to justify the expenditure? Thanks for all you guys do. Bruin Rick. Yeah, there's there's that value. But um, the reason I'd be sending it is more the rat race value, um, because you've just got to keep up with the Joneses at a certain level. Um, There isn't as much freedom of choice with these sorts of things as there used to be because everybody goes to college or not everybody. I shouldn't say that. But um, a lot of a lot more people go to college now than used to. Um, And so, you know, it's just kind of the understood option. Um, but the costs themselves have just become so extreme that it, I, I think if you're being responsible with your money and if you're being responsible with your children's futures, you have to consider it. You have to look at it and say, well, if I can't afford this, how much debt am I saddling my kids with to basically make a decision for them? Because no, no 17 or 18 year old is making a rational choice at that age. Your brain just isn't developed. So it's basically parents making that decision for them on how they're prioritizing their time in high school and all that kind of stuff. And if you're prioritizing that and saying, okay, my kid, you're going to have to get a, you know, you're going to have to go $150,000 in debt um, and go to school right now. Well, if you're going to make that decision for somebody else, then you need to think on it and sit on it. Um, And if you've got the money to spend, great. And if you're willing to take on that risk yourself, great. Um, But if you're saddling your kids with a bunch of debt, then um, I think it has to become a different calculation for you. All right. Well, we'll end it there. We got one piece of news, Dave. I got to share. I just retweeted it from the uh, Pac-12 podcast account. Uh, Doug Haller, who covers uh, Arizona State for The Athletic, I believe, he tweeted out, Justin. The all-Pac-12 punter, Michael Turk, will return to Arizona State. He declared for the NFL draft after his sophomore season, participated in the NFL Combine, signed with an agent, went undrafted, but ASU appealed the NCAA and got his college eligibility restored. Turk will compete with Florida State uh, grad transfer Logan Tyler for punting duties. Tyler is also expected to handle the kickoffs. So last year he averaged 46 yards a punt and had 23 punts of over 50 yards. Uh, COVID-19 limited Turks NFL workouts, and that was part of ASU's appeal. That whole story is the weirdest damn thing I think I've heard. It's low-key. Like, obviously, it's not a big story, but it is so weird. Yeah. Like, he's a punter. A punter leaving early, just any punter leaving early, right. but a redshirt sophomore punter leaving with two years of eligibility left. I love yeah. it. Love and- it. And the incident and saying, returning and yeah. returning now. 
And you can return after you signed with an agent, went through the combine, you did all that crap. And somehow the NCAA is like, yeah, come on back. It's fine. That's the way it should always work, of course. It's like, if you could work out, you're a punter. Like, if you were, you couldn't work out because of uh, the coronavirus, I don't think that's why you weren't drafted. Like, if there was no coronavirus, he's still not getting drafted. Like, if you they, know how, he, here's, yeah. how, here's how aggressive I am. It should work out that if Michael Turk is doing really well at ASU this year and some NFL team loses its punter, they should be able to say, hey, Michael Turk, we'll give you this amount of money. Come on up. I that's like the it. That's it should work. He could bounce back. I like that. That's very good. I love it. I love it. NCAA, just go away. Go away. <laughs> we'll get this whole thing figured out. Wow. Well, good stuff. Um, good show. We have a lot of topics, a lot of stuff to get to. A lot of reviews, so thank you for all of those. Thanks for the questions. And, uh, yeah, good stuff. Anything else, Dave? We're going to wrap it up. I've got nothing else for you. It was a beautiful show. It was great to hear your dulcet tones yet again. And uh, I'm just happy to be here. Happy to be here, too. That's David Woods. I'm Ryan Abraham. Thanks for tuning in and being part of our little podcast of Champions Family. We will talk to you next time. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.